The scripture reading this morning is from three passages in Proverbs, Isaiah, and Matthew. The first passage is Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your ways straight. From Isaiah 9, verses 1 and 2. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from Matthew eleven twenty-eight and 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I'm officially in the Advent spirit based on the song you sang, so thank you. Joanna, if only you could sound a little more angelic uh, other than that. Um, also, Catherine, are there some little things out there that will describe what you're doing? And I asked her to do that, by the way. She's not, this is not some ploy on her part. I'd really love for you to know more about what she's going to do in Uganda. And you're, uh, uh, you would be able to pick up some of those right outside on the table there? Okay, thank you. That would be great. Beautiful song. Then to have Kenny Rogers read scripture, does it get any better than that? So. <laughs> By the way, Gil, someone this week said they want to hear you and Vicki sing. Have we heard you all sing yet? Where are you, Gil? Are you all going to sing sometime? Because they're extremely good. In fact, I know of some people who are bragging on you uh, behind your back. Hope we can do that soon. All I want for Christmas is... How many of y'all remember that song, by the way? What does that person want in the old 45 record? Two front teeth. How many of y'all remember that song? Oh... How would you fill in that blank for this season? All I want for Christmas is, well, years ago, for most of us, it would have been some toy. And I thought we would begin with a retrospective on the most popular toys of certain years. Some of you might be familiar with these. Go ahead, Rebecca. 2013, anybody know? It was the, we're getting more and more technologically sophisticated. There's a Wii U, is that right? That just sounds strange to me, but it's the Wii U. You've heard of the Wii you can play with, but that's the Wii U, like Wii University, I guess. Not like Wii. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, 2009. Now, can somebody name these? This was the most popular toy. I don't even remember them. Not, no, Zuzu Pets? Y'all remember Zuzu Pets? And there's Pip Squeak and Num Nums and Mr. Squiggles and Chunk. Uh, among many, I'm sure. I don't even remember the Zuzu Pets, but they were apparently, allegedly, the most popular in 2009. Let's go back a few years. 2005, uh, the Xbox. Some of us remember. How many of y'all had an Xbox at some point? Got to play Xbox? Okay, younger people got it. Okay. 2000. Okay. It was called <laughs> Razor Scooter. Oh, okay. A lot of memories here. Okay. <laughs> a lot of bumps and bruises and cuts and all that. How many of y'all remember the, those? Okay. Let's go back, 19, I think this is the one, oh Lord help us. Uh, what's it called? Furby. How many of y'all got a Furby and wanted to, to 
maim it after a brief time. I mean, those the most annoying toy ever, I think. I actually got Hannah one at Thanksgiving in, in a uh, Denny's restaurant <laughs> uh, uh, from a crane. Th- what do you call those things? Uh, the, the claw things. And uh, it was a non-talking one, thank goodness. Okay, let's go to the next one. 19, hey, we're going to go back a little bit. 19, how many of y'all ever played Pictionary? Okay. Was that all you wanted for Christmas that, that year? Go ahead to the next one. We're going back to 1982. What is that called? How many of y'all actually solved one of those? Did you, how many of y'all knew how to solve one? There was a way you could do it where it looked like checkerboard and you could kind of cheat that way. That was not easy to do. Uh, okay, next one. No, okay, we're going back a bit. 1970. How many of y'all remember the Nerf ball when it first came out? I know we've got all these, all these uh, different uh, uh, variations of it, but that was the original Nerf ball, and we thought that was the greatest thing in the world. Okay, next. Oh, 1968. Hot Wheels. When I, oh, do you, guys, you guys remember when you could set up the loop-to-loop thing, and that was the greatest thing God ever invented, you know? You would set up the track, and you'd start up there, press the thing, and they would race, and, that, and then you had to jump at the end. Those were the days. I remember Hot Wheels. That was just great. Okay. I didn't ask you to... You're, you're wanting to move me along, aren't you? Okay, no. <laughs> Rebecca. 1965. Is? This was... I think I was... What was Second grade? I keep hearing rock, rock, rock. How many of y'all had a Rock'em Sock'em robot? gets no better than that. That was one of my most memorable Christmas mornings to find the red rocker and the what? Blue bomber. Who knew that? Steve, of course. Uh, it just didn't get any better. And, and you know, in the TV commercials, you used your thumbs. Yeah, right. You, you, you smacked at it this way. Just put your whole body weight into it. That was one of the great toys of all time. Okay. Do we, I think we have one more. No, 1963. Oh yes. Easy bake oven. How many of us had an easy bake oven? was my favorite toy of all. No, no. But uh, there it was. And I think we have one more. We're going back a good ways. 1952, Mr. Potato Head. That was when it first came out. Okay. Well, for some of us, what we wanted for Christmas at one point was probably one of these toys along the way, uh, which reminds me of that theme of all I want for Christmas is. And, and, and what we're going to do now, though, is, is if you were to take it to a deeper, probably spiritual or emotional, personal level, what is it that you want for this season? Let's go to the next one here. Um, oh, before we get to uh, the series, though, I thought since we're talking about Jesus's four names that are mentioned in Isaiah 9, 6, uh, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace... Does anybody know the most popular names in 2014? By the way, Ethan was number one in 2011. Did you know that? Yeah, okay. Maybe that's good enough. Anyway, most popular names, number one, Liam and Emma. Okay, we have an Emma here. Okay, second, Noah and Olivia. Okay, Olivia has remained up there for a number of years. Thirdly, oh, Ethan is number three there. I didn't realize. Okay, and Sophia. Does anybody have a Noah, Sophia? Do we have a Sophia here? Okay, or is it Sophia? Well, one of those. Okay, and number four. You've got Mason and Ava, and we've got a Mason. So anyway, I just thought that was neat to look at our most popular names. But let's go to the next one. Uh, all I want for Christmas is, and what we're going to do this season is to look at the, what these four names represent in terms of what Jesus brings to us during this time of Advent and really all of our lives because heaven is closer to us than we realize as the choir so wonderfully reminded us. But first of all, you have Wonderful Counselor. 
And, and really, when we talk about that, we're wanting to look for guidance. And so many of us need guidance right now. That might be what you want for Christmas. Or we might uh, prick your thinking, thinking, yes, I do need that. Secondly, uh, rescue, mighty God, the God who saves really is what we're talking about. We'll talk about that next week. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. What's the next one? Everlasting Father. One who guides us in a sense, but even more so provides for us as we go and provides what really matters for us. And finally, of course, we seek peace through the Prince of Peace. And so that's where we're going to be going for the next few Sundays. And this morning, we're obviously talking about wonderful counselor. Now, counseling, as you know, is quite in vogue today. And that can be a good thing. You even look at popular TV shows. You've got Dr. Phil. You've got Dr. Oz giving guidance. Uh, You've got Oprah giving guidance. You've got Dave Ramsey giving a different kind of guidance. I read somewhere, and I found this hard to believe, that between 1999 and 2003, the number of Christian counselors in America quadrupled four times. Now, I know part of that has to do with the establishment of a few Christian counseling associations like uh, the American Association of Christian Counseling and others. And I think that's great, but I found that, wow, it, it quadrupled in just a few years. But then I found something else that perhaps backed that up. Since 1970, the number of marriage and family therapists in America has increased 50-fold. That's a lot of counselors, and that's a lot of counseling. And let me say, because even in a place like this where we can be very image conscious, counseling can be a really good thing. I have a bias toward it. My minor area of, of doctoral work was in pastoral counseling. And as you know, I'm a big fan of people like Wayne Oates and Tom Toby and others who, who were such great advocates for it, along with being great counselors themselves. Oftentimes, I worry more about people who don't want to go to counseling because of image consciousness. They're worried about how it's going to look. I worry more about the people who don't go. I get thrilled when people do go. In fact, one of our first Sundays here, Paul Baisden was pastor. How many of y'all remember Dr. Baisden? Love that guy. Uh, and he was up there and he said, yeah, and so I realized I needed some counseling. So I started going to Dick Pyburn and, and received some therapy for a while. And I thought, man, you're in Mountain Brook. You don't talk about that. I thought that was so cool. And, and Paul was such a good pastor that way. So competent and capable at what he does, but willing to say, you know, there was a phase in my life where I needed to go and receive some wise counsel. And he did just that. And I think that's a great role model for us. All of us at different times struggle with, gosh, relational issues, relationship breakdowns with stress, with fear, with unresolved anger, uh, uh, decisions that you have to make that you just don't really know what to do with that, uh, coping with loss and grief. And sometimes we need to seek counsel. Not to do so is really to deny our humanity, which is a very unbiblical thing to do when you think about it. But all these things contribute to our need for counseling. And it's worth talking about during this season. This is going to be a difficult season for some of us. You know that. It, it might be the first Christmas since we have, have, have lost someone or there's somebody far away from us who's absent right now. Or for whatever reason, you're trying to find some hope because isn't the Christmas season supposed to be a time of hope, but it's difficult right now. And we all go through that at some point. If you have not yet, you will. The Bible places a great premium on wise counsel. It sees it as very important. One of the first Proverbs that you find, Proverbs 1.5, says a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. And obviously the counsel of the Lord is the best. It's the counsel that lasts. Psalm 33.11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. That's true. And let me just say this morning, you have no better counselor than Jesus. I know that sounds kind of shallow and superficial, but it's true. 
You have no better counselor than the wonderful counselor. Now, in the Hebrew there, the wonderful there means supernatural. Uh, you know, beyond our capacity, beyond all others. You know, so, have you ever known somebody who's just naturally insightful, naturally wise? They're a good counselor. Well, what this is saying is Jesus is supernaturally wise and insightful. And that's what it's saying. He is the wonderful counselor. Now, in what ways is he a wonderful counselor? First of all, he listens. He listens. Psalm 16:1. I love the Lord because he hears and answers my prayers, because he bends down and listens. I love that image of God bending down and listening to us. But in what better way did, G- did God bend down and listen to us? By sending his son, Jesus, coming that close to you and to me. That's really what we celebrate during Advent, is God bending down and coming close to us in the form of his son. Sometimes you and I fail at bending down and coming close to people. I know we can do that with children sometimes. Uh, back when my nephew Drew was four and a half years old, he had been playing outside. In fact, this was at a, a family Thanksgiving gathering, and he had been playing with these squirrels outside, uh, chasing them around, and you know, going running around a tree and watching them scurry around the tree to try to uh, stay away from him. And he was so excited about it, and he ran inside to tell his mother, my sister-in-law Jan. And we were all kind of standing in an adult circle, having adult conversation. And, and he comes along and starts tugging at her, at her skirt. Mommy, mommy, these squirrels, I've got to tell you about these squirrels and everything. And, and she just wouldn't even look at him. She, she kind of reached down and patted him on the head like, okay, four-and-a-half-year-old, just stay down there and know your place. And we kept talking in our adult circle. And then finally she thought, well, maybe this will help. So she picked him up just so he would be a little bit closer. She thought, well, maybe that will appease him. But she was in the middle of this narrative, some story she was telling and then finally, he just couldn't take it anymore. I mean, he went, Mommy, Mommy, Mommy. Finally, he just grabbed her face on both sides and turned it to him and got nose to nose with her and said, Wait a minute, we haven't found each other yet. I just love that. <laughs> and sometimes we fail at that. And sometimes we don't listen to others as we should. We don't bend our ear to them as we should. But Jesus does that constantly. The Gospels show instance after instance of Jesus doing that. Uh, I think about the woman with the hemorrhaging problem, and I think it's so wonderful. She touched the hem of Jesus' garment, and, and she's healed, physically cured, and that's great. And Jesus could have kept on going, but he made it a point to stop and listen to her and let her voice her faith in him. And he really created a teachable moment for others there and talked about how salvation had come her way. So cool. I think about Nicodemus, who was a member of the Sanhedrin, who came to Jesus by night because here he was, this important Jewish man, and he didn't want others to realize that he was going to him, but he was so intrigued with Jesus, and it's very clear that Jesus took time out with him. Even at night, I picture Jesus being physically tired, but here comes Nicodemus with these questions about, what does it mean to be born again, Jesus? Look at John chapter 3. It's, it's Nicodemus who was asking these questions. What does it mean to, be, to, to experience spiritual rebirth? And he took the time to listen to him. I think of the woman at the well, who obviously was living a sinful life, and Jesus knew that. And here he was, a Jewish man in Samaria, sitting by a well, listening to this woman. He shouldn't even be talking to a a, a mixed race, mixed blood Samaritan, but here he took the time to listen to to her. And he actually let her know he knew all about her. And it really led to her life being changed And so Jesus took the time to listen to someone. I've just mentioned somebody with with a physical malady, somebody who was confused and had questions, somebody else who was lost. But he took time to talk to every one of them, but not just to talk, but to listen. And not just to listen, but he understands. Nobody understands you and me better than Jesus. 
Love Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way that we are yet without sin. He's been tested in every way. Jesus understands you better than anyone. He gets it. No matter what you're facing, he was tested and, yes, tempted in every way. Both of those. You know, There have been times in my life where somebody, I'm going through a difficulty and somebody says, well, I understand. But you sometimes, sometimes question, well, do they really understand what I'm going through? Have they been through what I'm going through? And sometimes I can't help but wonder, do they really understand? Jesus does understand. He knows exactly what you're dealing with. He knows your situation. He knows what's going on in your mind and in your heart and in your feelings. Have you ever been betrayed? He was. You know, have you ever had physical pain, terrible physical pain? Yeah, he has. Have you ever been wrongly accused? Yep, he has too. Have you ever been gossiped about? So has he. Have you ever been in physical need? So had he. Have you ever felt utterly alone? So has he. Have you ever been afraid? He has felt afraid. Have you ever felt like you've reached the bottom and, and you wonder if there's a way up? He understands. And he knows us inside and out. I've always loved and been haunted by that, that wonderful, mysterious psalm, Psalm 139, where it just basically tells us he knows everything about us. Just one verse says, You know when I sit down and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You knit me together in my mother's womb. He knows us that well. He knows and he understands. And what, the amazing thing about Jesus is that he knows us better than we know ourselves, and yet the way he knows us is bathed completely in pure grace. Thanks be to God. It's bathed in grace. And that is why he should be so approachable for us. You know, back then, again, we've said this before, sinners ran to Jesus back then. Read it in the Gospels. They ran to him, not away from him. I hope that we as a church can be that kind of people where sinners feel always welcome in here, no matter what they're dealing with, no matter where they've been, no matter what they've been through. I hope this is a place people can run to. So he knows you, he understands, he listens, and because of all this, he commits himself to you. Commits himself to you, not, not just to listening, but, but, but being there for you no matter what. He sees you as somebody worth listening to, somebody worth guiding, somebody worth counseling. I love it in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, where he says, Look at the birds of the sky, they neither sow nor reap, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of worth more? than they. And he talks about how every hair on your head is counted. Jesus, the wonderful counselor, is never going to leave you to fend for yourself. <laughs> what is that most misunderstood non-Bible verse that most Americans think is in the Bible? You know what I'm talking about? God help. Does anybody know? God helps those who help themselves. That's not in there. Please know that. God helps those who help themselves. In some ways, I think theologically, that's kind of shallow and deluded. Because it's important to say God helps those who cannot help themselves. When you get to those point, points in your life where you really don't know where else to turn, where you've reached rock bottom, where you don't know how things are going to pan out, God's going to help you when you cannot help yourself. And he will not leave you. Wonderful passage that Gil read so well in just, just a moment ago. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For what? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And not only will he 
guide you, but he will be with you all the way. If you can say it with me, say uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. The cool thing is as he is directing your path, he will be there with you every step of the way as well. Years ago, I read this book called The Dance of Hope by a guy named, well, it's Dr. Bill Free who taught for many years at University of Colorado. And he told a story one time about a doctoral student he had, whose name was John, who was blind. And uh, he just loved this guy. He was a great guy to do his uh, doctoral seminars with and to guide him with his dissertation and everything. But he was so impressed with this guy. He said he was always positive, always upbeat. You could tell he was never bitter or angry about the fact that he was blind. And when they got comfortable with each other over the course of a few months, he finally said, Bill, I've never asked, or excuse me, John, I've never asked you, how did you become blind? And he said, well, it's a painful thing to tell you, but I'll just tell you it happened during my teenage years. And, and Bill thought, well, I'm not going to ask him any more about it. But uh, later on, he asked him, well, well, what was that like, you know, to be a teenager and have that happen to you so, so tragically? And he said, oh, it was hard at first. He said, I was bitter. He said, I was angry with God. I was angry with God you know, for making it happen or letting it happen. And, and I took out my anger on other people. He said, I basically gave up, took it out on everybody else around me. Since I had no future in my mind, I wouldn't lift a finger. I had everybody wait on me. So, and, and basically, I went to my bedroom, stayed in my bedroom, only came out for meals, and that was it. And I did that for years. He said, well, I noticed that you're kind of an older doctor. So he said, oh, I was in my, spent time in my bedroom there for, for years. He said, well, what changed? <laughs> Because this is what was amazing to Bill Free, because this, this guy John was so positive and upbeat and, and motivated and all this. You know, he, he faced challenges regularly, but you could tell he could, he could handle it. And finally he said, John, what, what changed? What happened? He said, oh, I trace it all back to something that happened between me and my father. And he said, my father one day was sick of me and my pity party. And he said, you know what? Winter's coming and we need to mount the storm windows of the house and you're going to do it, and you're going to do it today, starting this morning. You're going to be done by this afternoon when I get home or else, because I've had it. You're going to do this now. And the, he said, I could hear Dad slamming the door as he went out. And he was so mad, he said, I spent most of the morning muttering to myself and cussing. And finally, I, I you know, stood up, thought, well, let's try this. So he groped around in the house, looked for the stepladder, looked for the tools, looked for the windows, and he found all these and, and, and he went along just still muttering all the time uh, with all this bitterness. But he started to mount the storm windows and everything. And when he was up on the ladder, he said, I remember thinking to myself, boy, they're going to be sorry when I fall off of this. You know? and, and so he kept going, though. And what's amazing is he never fell off the ladder, and he got it done. He got the whole task done. He finished the father's task that he gave to him. And he, he said, that moment I realized, you know what? I can still be useful. I can still be productive. I can still be competent in certain ways. I mean, here he is, a doctoral student now. And he said, at that moment, at the end of that day, I began to reconstruct my life. And, and then he said, years later, I learned one more thing. And, he's, and, and Dr. Free says in the book that, that John's voice started to break at this point. And he, and he saw tears start coming down John's blind eyes. And he said, I learned one more thing, but it wasn't until years later. I found out that my father was there with me. He was never more than four or five feet away from me that whole day when I was putting the storm windows in. He said, he wasn't going to leave me. He was there just in case something were to happen. In case I were to fall, he was there for me. He said, and that just added to my sense of, you know what? 
It's the same way with God. Even as we need guidance, as we, as we are being guided, even through the most difficult of circumstances, he's right there with us. That father had no intention of that boy to fall. And our Heavenly Father has no intention of us to fall. What does it say in the letter of Jude? Your Lord is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. He, you know, Jesus, the wonderful counselor, doesn't want you to live in fear of falling. doesn't want you to live that way. And he's never going to forsake you regardless of what you're facing. Regardless of what you're facing. What does he say? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because, what does it say? Thou art with me. And more than once in Scripture, it says what? I will never leave you nor forsake you. No more wonderful supernatural counselor. No more supernaturally insightful counselor than Jesus. But not just that. He never, ever, ever, ever is going to leave you. I'd like for us to bow our heads and, and close our eyes for just a moment. I want you to discern what is some area in your life right now where you need some guidance it might be a decision that you're needing to make. We talked about decisions last week. Um, and some people actually last week, which was cool, they were deciding whether or not to, to become a part of this church, and they did, which I thought was so cool. But what about in your life? You know, what is a source of pain or a source of fear? Some loss that you've had as of late, and you're trying to find guidance out of the darkness and move toward hope? Is it a relationship issue where you need some counsel? Is it an issue with money? Is it with job? Is it with family? Whatever it might be. What comes to the surface as I ask you, in what area do you need guidance and counsel and direction the most? Meditate upon that for just a minute. And after you do so, if you would just lift that matter up to Christ the Wonderful Counselor and spend a moment in meditation and converse with him about that. Lord, we confess to you that sometimes we feel directionless, and we confess that sometimes in our life of faith, or maybe lack of faith, we, we just want to ask you, could you please just give us the map? Could you please just give us the divine GPS and tell us where all of this is headed? Tell us what we need to do. And it would be so nice if we could know right now, and we thank you if we receive that, but all the more may we trust that in your good timing. The answers we need, the guidance we need, the clarity that we crave will be there. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who is the wonderful counselor, the one who ultimately guides us, gives us direction and strength for the journey, and who is with us every step of the way. Help us to trust that as we journey now toward the manger in this season. We thank you for that gift, that greatest gift of grace, O oh God. May we embrace it this morning and pass it on to others. 
We pray these things in your name. Amen.